Hi, you with Julian on the Brown Note Whispering for some reason because I'm recording at a weird time of day in my house. Um, Sydney's finished. Um, put a fork in her, turn her over, she's done. I did a piece a couple of years ago on how Australia and the UK were just finished. Um, the quality of life, I guess through economic neoliberalism and the um, worship of um, people that own properties that are investments, has driven a large part of what life was away which is an enormous amount of people will never own their own home in places like London and Sydney uh, and that the continual re-election of liberal governments or in, in our case and Tories in the UK had just rendered the the, the country's gone uh, quality of life is just gone the high street's gone and Sydney's got a glimmer of sorry Australia has a glimmer of hope with the fact that we're going to push virtually every liberal state government out and we have a Labour government in power which is a great thing but it doesn't fix what's wrong with Sydney and it, this piece is again about an opinion piece I read they, they, every few months I see an opinion piece Sydney's finished I've had it um, I agree uh, there was recently this um, piece that rates um, the 53 global cities, as in kind of, you know, a city like Sydney that claims to be a global destination that people would want to. Uh, and Sydney's not done very well. We were, according to a new rank out from Time Out magazine, uh, we're pretty bad on the global stage. According to the survey out of 53 world cities, it compared... Sydney came in the third worst on the planet for making new friends. Um, three quarters of respondents said trying to make friends in the Harbour City was near impossible. Um, apparently it's very difficult to hook up. I certainly noticed when I moved to Sydney that it's, it, it, it thinks that it's friendly on the surface, but it isn't a friendly city. And the first time I went back to London, I was surprised by how friendly people were. Much more likely to talk to you in a friendly manner and engage you or down the pub. People you don't know are going to talk to you as an all human being. There's a lot less of this cliqueiness. I live on the northern beaches in Sydney and a lot of us expats say the same thing. We don't know that many straight Aussies. We know a lot of people from, with heritage from other countries, but there's a very cliqueiness to getting to know Australians, I think. Um, the other one for Sydney particularly was that we have a second from worst nightlife in the world. For the second year running, um, and that's that was by design. Um, we kept electing, we didn't, but people kept getting into politics and the police force that were these right-wing Christians and they had this notion of shutting down Sydney which they did very successfully the double whammy was Mike Baird who shut down Kings Cross for the benefit of property developers and the casino district doesn't that look really good now he's a guy that made a lot of these deals in secret about the development of James Packer's giant phallus casino hasn't that turned out well so we tried our hardest to let the police run riot 
and closed down every music festival they could and wandered the streets with sniffer dogs arresting 15-year-olds in Redfern for having a joint in their backpack. Um, just making it as unfriendly a city as possible. And the other thing I was doing about this is that the COVID was supposed to lower the prices of living in Sydney, which is having a cost of living crisis just like everywhere else. I think ours has been going on for a lot longer. I think the press in this country are terrible and gave the Liberal Party a free pass. I wasn't earning a lot of money and I noticed that my life became unaffordable five years ago. It's not a modern thing. Um, but what's happened with COVID is we, John Howard gave the keys to Australia to people that own investment properties and the corporate end of town um, and gave so much benefits to those. It drove a housing boom that made houses go from, you know, at the start of the 1980s, three and a half times the average wage bought your house. That was the paradigm that we were all sold so that we could keep our own money. We could keep it by owning our own home and that was the baseline of existence and the reason to work. And it's now 15 times the average wage. So it is virtually impossible for people to get onto that housing ladder. And even if they do, I've got a friend who's 60 years old and has just bought a flat and it is a bed set. The, we went around for dinner and the bedroom's in the lounge how do you get 60 years old and that is the best that society has managed to offer you when you work full-time? And the recent ones that came up are terrifying. Um, there's a couple, there was a newspaper article about how a flat that was $370 or $380 a week in two years ago is now $520. It is a one-room apartment with the toilet in the kitchen. And you got to spend near 30 grand a year to live in there as your baseline. And then my brother's flashback with another one in the same in the same suburb of Surrey Hills, $450 a week. It's 12 square meters, one room. We're now asking people that work full time and not on the lowest wages that they can't even afford a one bedroom flat. They're now moving down to studio apartments. My dad's era, it was a given on a fairly low wage that you would own your own three bedroom home. And he always did. And now he's got probably a million in the bank in collateral as a house. All of my half a million dollars in rent in Sydney has gone to paying other people's mortgages. And now that the interest rates have gone up and the housing Ponzi scheme, the Reserve Bank has done a dirty on labor. They kept it going for as long as possible under the Liberal government and they put all of the rate rises in under Labour, which I've specified before is a politicization of the Reserve Bank. And it's a way of reining in any social spending that Labour might do because they'll suddenly remember there's a deficit. 12 square meters is about the size of this. It's, it's smaller than this room. And that is your flat. Um, there are three main reasons why Sydney is finished. The first is housing affordability and the way that they've developed Sydney into being this soulless enclave of apartment cities with no high streets, no social cohesion, no communities, just very, very expensive shitbox apartments as far as the horizon. 
um, and the fact that now you can have an average wage in Sydney and struggle to rent a one-bedroom apartment. That is number one. The affordability of living in Sydney has just, just completely been destroyed. John Howard was the harbinger of doom. He's the one that set all of this in motion. And now that all these people have investment properties that they can't, they borrowed up to the hilt to buy, with the increased cost of living and interest rates, they can't afford their own mortgages. So they're all passing it on to the rest of us as rent. So we're in a completely unstable Ponzi scheme paradigm. That's number one. Um, and you look at the um, developments in the city like James Packers Casino, and it's just, what is he trying to be, Dubai? No one likes Dubai. That's like the most vacuous city you can think of. There, it could be anywhere in the world, just the same shops, the same air conditioned walkthroughs, um, you know, these gleaming towers. There's no soul, there's no creativity, no sense of uh, being in a city. If you look at Circular Key, it's, you know, it's a pretty grand site, but we're, we're raising everything we can in city to build apartment complexes and high rise towers for the corporate world. So housing affordability is an apocalyptic event and the cost of living goes hand in hand with that. And it's destroying the economy because when people can't afford their rent, they end up not having enough disposable income to go to all of the other businesses. So it is a really bad paradigm. So that the affordability of living in Sydney is one shoe that's dropped. Two was the nanny state. Um, when I first came to Australia, it was known as, you know, this freewheeling place. You could do pretty much anything you wanted. And over the last 20 years, Sydney has, and New South Wales, has come increasingly under the grip of the religious right. You look at Victoria, the uh, Pentecostal church scandal, which the mainstream media has barely spoken about. 150 members of the Victorian Liberal Party were expelled because they were all part of this gang of Pentecostals trying to stack branches and elect their own people in. And once these people get in, they don't agree in fun. Uh, they don't want people going out drinking unless it is to the casino district for a couple of cheeky schooners on a Friday night. Not too much. Don't want to be hung over at work. And they shut down everything special about this Sydney. Most I used to go to lots and lots of music festivals in the country outside of Sydney, camping, free and easy. And, you know, more and more and more police turn up with sniffer dogs or they just shut the festivals down. So the nanny state has made it um, an, a, city, a city that is known internationally as being a killjoy. So we've got massive inaffordability and in even living here a massive lack of freedoms, sit on a beach, open a can of beer, the police will march you away. That's not what Australia was. And the third thing, and probably the most damaging of all, actually no money is, is climate change. The big selling point in being in Sydney, some cities like London and New York are intertwined from their centres. Having a, the, My definition of a great city is a, having a car is a hindrance, not a help. Um, everything is connected, the city goes on forever. Buenos Aires, Mexico City, great cities where everything is walking because there's so much. 
Sydney was always a collection of suburbs, but the one thing that it had to make it a great city was the environment and the weather, the beaches, the harbour and the blue skies. Climate change has ended that. Um, as predicted through global warming, sea temperatures have risen, causing more precipitation, uh, more water. The warm waters off of the coast of Sydney rise up into the atmosphere, more uh, water is held in the atmosphere and we've had we're going to have, uh, we're, we're moving into uh, SAM, which is seasonal, I can't even remember what it is, seasonal affected something or other. And then we move into our third year in a row of La Nina, or El Nino, I can never remember which way around it is. We passed our all-time record for rainfall about two weeks ago, and it's October still. Um, and that's the all-time record. We passed the average rainfall for Sydney in a year, I think around the 1st of April, so just over three months into the year. We'd already had our year's rainfall. We, everyone, if you've got a brain, you can see what's happened. We have got the weather that they used to have in Cairns or Brisbane. We don't have summer, winter, spring, autumn anymore. And that ain't going away. We have now a wet season and a dry season. And for a city built on sunshine like Sydney, it's almost like no other this side of Rio. Not having any summers anymore is the last nail in the coffin. It ruins so much about being here. It is going to rain from October to February. And we will have had our third no summer in a row. And that isn't going to get any better. We might luck out and get the odd summer here and there. But in general, sea temperatures are going to continue to rise for another 100 years. Um, throw in terrible transport. The public transport at the moment is shocking. Um, the you know amount of missed services, the infrastructure, the roads are terrible. They're clogged. You can't afford to live here. The weather's now shockingly bad, and you're not allowed to have any fun here. Um, so Sydney is gone. It is finished. 